0: Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, the Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, the law firm of Decolator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ.
1: Joining us now is the man who played his high school ball in Sarasota, Florida before following his older brothers, Adrian and James, into the Milwaukee Braves farm system. He was selected by the Mets on December 2, 1968 in the Rule 5 draft. He made his Major League debut at second base, played most of his first month in the majors there. It wasn't long until a 21-year-old lefty hitter settled there in the lefty-righty platoon with Ed Charles at third base. He would go on to play eight seasons with the Mets. He is a member of the 1969 Miracle Mets and the 19. 73 you gotta believe Mets it is a pleasure to welcome number 11 in your Mets program number one in your hearts Wayne Garrett the WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York welcome Wayne thank you uh, you know, this past week, with the passing of Eddie Charles, we lost another member off of one of the most beloved teams in Met history, the 1969 Miracle Mets. It's interesting to note that you were the youngest player in that team, and Ed was the oldest. Looking back at that roster, it's really incredible how young that team was. You're 21, Ryan and Gentry are 22, Frisella, Gaspar, Dyer, and Boswell are 23, McGraw, Seaver, and Crample. Came, Ed Crample was only 24, which you, you know oh. he was an original Met, but you know he came up so young. That, that, that was um, like his eighth year with the team. Right. Um, yeah. What did Ed Charles, at 36 years old and having nine years of minor league experience and seven years of major league experience, what did that mean to the Mets clubhouse in 1969?
0: <laughs> it meant a lot. You would, I mean, unless you were there, you wouldn't. You wouldn't really know. It Ed meant a lot to that team. He was he was really the heart and soul of the of our of our team he was you know when because things were pretty bleak in the very beginning of the 69 season i mean it didn't start out well for the new york mets and and you know me playing in the Braves organization and being drafted by them the mets in, in the winter of 68 I go to spring training. I really didn't know anyone. Uh, the only players that I knew were the guys who were invited to the spring training camp that were minor leaguers because I played against them. That was the only guys I knew in camp were the minor leaguers. I didn't know the, the major league ball players. I didn't even know Eddie Charles. Uh, you know, but reflecting reflecting on the year, though, you know, I come up. And and you know they had me playing shortstop because Bud Harrelson had knee surgery, and so you know Eddie didn't have a lot to say to me. I mean, you you could hear him in the dugout though. I mean, he'd always come and he'd compliment guys when you'd do things good. If if you know if if you had a if you made an error a mistake in the field, he'd always come up to you, pat you on the back, say it's okay, it's okay. You know, it won't be the last one you make. <laughs> But, you know, let's try to cut down on him, though. But I mean, you know, but Eddie put it in such a way, though, he was he was he was always so mellow and and calm about everything. And you know, and that's and that's how he played, too. He played the same way. That's why he was nicknamed the glider. He just kind of just took things very easily. But but he spoke to individuals he spoke to individuals like me who was i was a rookie the youngest guy on the team and and it just happened to turn out that what a great combination it was the youngest and the oldest <laughs> playing third base being platoon together and 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 it turned out to be a great season
1: you, know, you talk about platooning, and you look at that team and the masterful job that Gil Hodges did with platoons. He devised a plan to blend the Ross' youth with experienced vets. So he implemented a platoon system where left- and right hand players played the same position, alternated games, depending on the opposition's pitcher. Um, it was really the essence of teamwork, and that's what that team was about. So Boder and Shamsky, you know, switch-hitting, right-fielders, combining for 23 home runs. Cranepool and Don Denon, who they acquired in the trade, uh, they also hit 23 home runs. You and Ed drove in 57 runs. What I want to ask is, you know, first of all, does it take a certain personality to be able to buy into that platoon system? And does it take a certain manager's personality for you guys to buy in? So were the Mets a perfect storm of the right personalities and the right manager to be able to do this?
0: For that team, yes. Because it was a lot of we had a lot of youth on the team, and we had we had a few guys you know who were veteran players too and And the thing about it is, the veteran players those guys couldn't go out and play every day. they weren't everyday ball players and and even for like Eddie, Eddie's 36 years old and and I could see him getting tired after really the the first month and a half of the season. I mean he would because he was playing a lot and and I could see him getting tired and his batting average showed it and but you know Hodges Hodges had a theory and it just happened to work because guys like me who are just I'm just proud to be there in the big leagues I'm just proud to be sitting on the bench and and then given the opportunity to play you know, I was elated and I think for some of the other guys, it was the same way, too. When when a platoon system is effective is when guys are basically in that position. I mean, guys who aren't really starting players, they're not everyday players, because those guys will not play that role. They, I mean, they just don't play the role of a platoon player. It's, it's hard for them to do that, and it was hard for me after – four or five years to do that. You know, I felt myself more as an accomplished player and and, and now you're you know, it, it really didn't bother me that much but but it was like when I was really playing good, I wanted to play all the time though. And and I think I think that's the problem of the platoon system though. But but in nineteen sixty nine it really worked out it, it worked out great because I was just I was just glad to play, and it didn't matter if I had to sit, you know, a couple games in a row because left-handers were throwing. Uh, it, it didn't bother me at all, and I mean I was just proud to be there, and it, it just became a partnership between the platoon players. Though we had, I mean, there were several of us on it. It took it took Gil Hodges, you know, probably two months to, to figure it out, a month and a half to figure it out, what guys needed to be in that platoon role, though. and Because you had, like in right field, you had Shamsky and you had Swoboda in right field. And and at second base, you had Al Weiss, Ken Boswell. First base, you had Crane Poole, and you had Clint Benin after we got Clint Benin in a trade. But and even behind the plate, even, we had J.C. Martin, and we had Jerry Grody. And, and Duffy Dyer,
1: too. Right?
0: I mean, it, it, was, uh, you know, it was a combination that he finally, I mean, something, <laughs> something finally worked. We played some <laughs> games, and we started winning. And so it was a combination that worked, and he continued to use it for the rest of the season.
2: You know, what I remember about that season
1: was really the turning point was a West Coast trip. And the team went out to the West Coast and won like ten of eleven games, something like that. Very high. Yes. And you know, what do you remember that
2: particular winning streak? And what did that do to really get the season, the ball rolling for what became the championship season?
0: Well, I, I think what it got rolling was in the in the mind of Gil Hodges, who he could put out on the field consistently every day, and and then, you know, doing that, you know, it builds confidence within the players. Yeah. When you would go into a town, I mean, when you would read, you'd get the paper, you would see what the pitching schedule is for that series. You know, I would know. I, I'm playing the first two games, and that'll be playing the third game. Third. However, the, whatever the pitching went, as far as left-handed, right-handers, starters. And, and so I knew that no matter what, then I'm getting that day off. Eddie's going to be playing. I've got the day off. And, and, and that's the way we worked the whole season. And, but by winning all those games in a row, I think it kind of set that tone for the whole team. And, and, and for the guys who were platoon, you knew when you had to get your rest and when you could, you know, maybe, you know, stay out an an hour (laughs) later at night or whatever.
1: You know, you look back through the, the beauty of the internet, you can, Type uh, on newspapers.com, you know, certain keywords. And in prep for this interview, I I typed in Wayne Garrett, but I I typed in post-World Series. Like, you can also put the dates. And it's amazing because you think of that team as pitching rich, and that's what won the World Series for the Mets. But all the articles, there's a central recurring theme. Gil Hodges pointed to you as one of the five players who transformed the Mets from mediocrity to a championship-caliber team. He said the others were Tommy Agee, Cleon Jones-Harrelson, and Tug McGraw. Hodges called you the surprise of the year. Tom Seaver suggested you, Gary Gentry, and Hodges as the reasons for the team's success. When you reflect on those quotes from those players and managers all those years later, what's your first reaction?
0: (laughs) Well, I didn't even know that. So, I mean, it's... uh... Well, it's it's very kind. It's very kind of them to say that and uh, and you know as a player, you know, we all go out and we, we strive to do our best. And and it's like and I always did that every game and and I was just fortunate. I was just fortunate enough that I had the opportunity to to get to a big league spring training camp. And make the forty man roster and and, and then, then be on the twenty five man roster. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, then I as, mean, and then as 21 and then as twenty one years I, old Win a championship in New York, uh, one of the most miraculous wins of all time, and it's also interesting because after that World Series, the the first couple of months had to be very hectic for a 21 year old. You guys go on the Ed Sullivan show with the team and sing. You got to have heart. Definitely check that out on YouTube. It's unbelievable. Um, and then <laughs> it's later, in an
2: odd sense, not in a good sense.
1: No, yeah. it's great. I love it, especially <laughs> especially they use everyone's full names. You know, yeah. so it's Daryl Harrelson. It's you know Edward. Charles. It's their full names in, in the Chiron. It's pretty. Interesting. Interesting to watch it. Um, yeah. You, Rod Gaspar, Ken Boswell, go on the dating game, and this is way before social media. But I have to imagine that that was pretty overwhelming for a 21-year-old rookie, you know, in New York, winning a championship. What were the first couple of post, you know, World Series wins month like for you? Well, it,
0: well, the whole thing was astonishing. The whole year, you know, it just, you know, you're a rookie, you're playing in New York. First time I ever been to New York in my life, and and I was just I was overwhelmed by all of it in the very beginning, and it I mean it just still felt like a dream, you know, being there and in the presence of of you know fifty fifty five thousand people. Yeah, it's I mean it's amazing, you know. In in the beginning, I was I was very nervous and and then it got to be after i settled down after after a week um uh, i learned to enjoy everything and to accept everything from the from the people in the stands i mean these people and and the jets flying over and all the noise and everything and it and but i settled down i it, it, you know it, i knew that i had to if i was going to be if i was going to be in the big leagues if I was going to stay here, I had to settle down and do my job. I, I couldn't think about being nervous, even though it, you know the first time you take the field in every game, you know, until that first ball is hit to me, you know, I've always I'm always a little bit nervous until I catch that ball and throw the first guy out. I you know I I'm like that every game, and but as soon as I do, it's like everything stops. Everything stops. No more tension, no more nervousness, and you learn to settle down. But when I was afraid, when I was really nervous, those first few few games I played in New York, after a while I couldn't play. It was hard to play unless I had a lot of people in the stands. I, I, I enjoyed playing for a lot of people, and I enjoyed playing in New York.
1: It's interesting. Uh finally, you played that one magical season with Ed Charles The sixty nine was his last season. You will be forever linked to him in Met history as the third baseman of the nineteen sixty nine Miracle Mets. What's your favorite memory of Ed or your favorite Ed Charles story?
0: Oh gosh. It's been so long ago. Um all I know is Ed was <laughs> Ed was always there. Ed I mean, you know, it took, it took a while, you know, because they had me playing shortstop, second base, second base mostly. Um, and then Hodges came up to me one day and asked me if I'd ever played third base, and I said yes. And he told me, he says, you're playing third base today. And so after that, when I started playing third base, Eddie and I became really good friends because now he could help me. You know, it was like – I mean, because I was young and, and it, it, you know, I was really hard on myself. A lot of players are, but I was hard on myself. You know, you always, wanted, you always want to perform at your best all the time, and you, and you just can't possibly do that. And, but Eddie was always there. You know, when I was down, he was always there to lift me up. And, and it's like that's the way the whole season was. I mean, we patted each other on the back. You know, and we helped each other through that season, and it was a uh, very—it was a moment that I would never forget. I mean, it's Eddie Charles. Every time I see him, he's always got a smile on his face, and he's all—he's never in a hurry. (laughs) He walks real slow, and everything is just so soft. You know, it's like, and. And even when he talks, it's just the same way too. I've never heard him shout or yell at anybody. I mean, he's just—he was always so mellow, and—and and I don't know. He was—he was like a father figure. He was a mentor. He was a teacher. He was everything to me.
1: He was that to a lot of people. I had the pleasure of meeting him and spending time with him at a couple of Met fantasy camps. Wayne, thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate you taking the time out this Sunday night to remember the glider, Eddie Charles. We really appreciate it.
0: We'll all miss him.
1: Absolutely, Wayne Garrett, 1969 World Series champ, 1973 National League champ, New York Mets. Before we break, um, you know, I had the opportunity to yeah. interview Eddie for Kiner's Corner and uh, the Kiner's Corner book. Um, I'm not going to play the whole interview because the one thing that I really want to talk about, you know, have him. It, you, the audience here, was you know the famous thing. As soon as you're Ed, at Ed Charles, you hear no the glider, the glider and right. no one throws a, a slider Slide past the glider. The glider. Yeah. and he's going to tell you right now where that came from. So we'll play that clip. We'll take a commercial break. We'll come back with AJ's uh, Sunday papers. The first question is: Prior to being on Kiner's Corner, did you know much about the show at all? Not at all, because you know
2: I came over from Kansas City in '67, and I only had three years with the Mets. 69 was my last year after we won the World Series. And uh, throughout that span, 3 years uh, span, I had occasion, you know, to visit the show. But um, I think it was 68 when Jerry Goosman was the club. And uh, he one one gave me the nickname, The Glider. When I was on the show, uh, the question was raised as to what pitch that I hit for a home run. I just told him. I always would say slot So the next thing I know, Bob Murphy had picked it up on his radio show, and he started and told about when he had something to say about me, he would say, never throw a spider to the glider. <laughs> and that uh, just took off. And fans, you know, when they see me or whatever, they just holler, hey, glider, how are you? <laughs> you know, so it just took off and even to the day. Those fans calling calling me glider. I get fan nail and they want me to autograph, they want me to put glider on there and all that stuff.